The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Full mountain swings out and it's out. Cody Wattage, another first round stoppage in the Apex. People say I'm a grappler or a wrestler, man. I'm just a winner. Welcome to UFC Unfiltered. Uh, Matt and I are going to be joined today by uh, uh, Tony Hinchcliffe, our, both our buddies, a comedian, and uh, middleweight Cody Brundage. What are you eating, Matt? What? What are you eating? I see you were showing me something. Is that a drug? Well, it was a caramel. Oh, I thought it was, was it a pot caramel? Jimmy. Just a regular caramel. It's delicious. Could I eat it? it? Or is it not? We will not know. Or maybe half an hour into the show, we will know. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes, I suspect it was. I can never tell, though, with you if it's a sugar rush or oh. if you're just on drugs. If I slipped you one of those, you'd be like, oh, my God, I was so, I was on my wagon for so long, and ah, we could do that. And I'd be like, ah. You feel so guilty when I tried to fly. I want you to tell that joke to Tony Hinchcliffe. You know Tony Hinchcliffe? Of course I do. Is that a real backdrop, or are you actually in that in that room? It's a real backdrop. That is uh, the the that is a uh, the city of Austin, Texas, right behind me. Oh, are you living in Austin now? You moved, or are you just down there for a while? Nope, I moved all the way. It's been almost two years. I love it. You guys are in New York. Yeah, I haven't I'm, been to Austin in you. I've been there once in my life. I don't remember if I liked it or is that where Cap City is or was? I think I did yep. Cap City once. That's the only time I was down there. Uh, but so yep. you're happy you made the move. Very, very, very happy. A lot of fun, having fun. Been out on the, they have a, they have lakes and rivers and shooting guns and lighting off fireworks. A whole bunch of white trashy things that I'm into. <laughs> I, I now, what is Joe Rogan like? The fucking Pied Piper of comedians? What did he go down there? And how many guys went down there with him? Who was down there first? You or Joe? Joe. And Joe, what did he Joe, say? Joe. Look, it's cool here. Come check this place out. Yeah, well, there was no shows going on in California at all at the time. So, like, the pandemic shut them down hard. He's like, dude, there's audiences. Come on. And really, I helped push him into it, too, because I did a show. I was just scheduled to do a show here. And then I asked him if he wanted to do a guest spot. And the thing just continued momentum because it was just open. Cali was so closed. It was unbelievable at the time. Um, November 2020. And uh, it was just open and I wanted to be out and about and hanging out and listening to live music on nights when I wasn't working and, you know, having some drinks and having fun. And again, you know, they had in California, they had us on rooftops and parking lots and drive in theater shows. It was completely a nightmare for anybody that likes doing actual stand up comedy. So, yeah. yeah. Where did you grow up, Tony? Though Is it a weird move for you? Because did you grow up in L.A. or no? No, I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, oh. Yeah, very, very, very wild city. A lot of boxers out of there. Oh. Kelly Pavlik, Boom Boom Mancini, Harry Arroyo, some champions. That's a tough area, and, right? Uh, Youngstown's a tough area. 
Very tough. And I was on the toughest uh, corner of the toughest neighborhood, Florence Dale and Thornton Avenue, where it was just arsons every night and shootings every day and robberies all the time. And and uh, but I love it. I'm glad that I'm from there. I like never go back. Um, But uh, I'm glad that I'm from there. It gives me a real appreciation for because literally everywhere else is better. I just thought that's how normal <laughs> life was everywhere. So it makes life a lot more fun when you're like, wow, this is great. All the Did time. you fight a lot growing up? Were you, were you fighting a lot? a lot? A ton. And on never anybody my size until I started wrestling in high school. That's when um, I finally got to see what it was like to go against somebody my size. It was always guys twice as big as me, sluggish and slow. I had a wild advantage because I would just get in close and fight. I was the only kid throwing elbows in 1990. I swear <laughs> to God, and nobody else knew about it. They thought punches were the only thing. Right. And so I would win fights against big giant guys by getting in tight and all just throwing a grazing elbow. They're like, what the hell was that? So I imagine it takes away like growing up like that. It takes away like any discomfort or fear of confrontation or any of that shit. hundred percent. I'm super, super comfortable all the time and also i can tell when obviously i mean a lot of people can but i feel like i have really good instincts for when someone that's gonna start shit or someone that's really negative or someone you know that's gonna cause trouble is around me like i can feel it because i again was just totally raised around it on a daily basis which yeah nowadays i mean here in texas though everybody's nice so it's like crazy in la it was like Oh, is this going to be a show business schmooze? Is this going to be a this? What's this person want? What's that person want? And one thing that's totally different here is that just everybody's cool. Like everybody's just nice, sometimes too nice. Sometimes they're just going too slow in the far left lane or something like that. That's really my biggest problem now in the world is people going slow in the fast lane. How does an environment, I'm sorry, Jimmy, how does an environment like that growing up? I mean, how do you develop into like a stand-up comic? from that kind of um, environment? Like, did, how did you find the art of, I guess, yeah, the art of stand-up comedy? Like, how did you find stand-up comedy in that world of Ohio where you're living? Well, a crazy thing is that, you know, and we were, I was raised pretty poor too, even though my both my mom and my dad had like, uh, you know, fledgling mafia ties. Like, you know, they were crushing the mafia at the time. So when I say my parents were in the mafia, people were like, oh, so you were rich. But it's like, no, it was just like running numbers and gambling rings and things like that at the time. And um, like, I guess to answer your question, my father wasn't in my life that much. And uh, we were pretty poor. But my mom always made sure for some reason that I had HBO. I guess she didn't want me to not be able to relate to the other kids in school because she had to send me to a private school, which is still which was still a war zone, but it, you had to go to the private school if you were white in Youngstown at that time where you would literally just be murdered. Um, so she sent me to this private school where kids had more money. So anyway, she made sure I had HBO and as a little kid, you know, I scanned across the TV and f- would see like one guy at a time. I think back then it was like the comic relief or whatever. And you would just see someone with a microphone making all these people laugh and it was so powerful. I had no idea. I mean, again, I'm talking like four, five, six, seven, but I remember like seeing that and then like looking for it again. Like, what was that that one time? And then I ended up, you know, really, 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 really only getting joy through making people laugh in school, kindergarten, first grade. And then started early. Yeah. 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 Really early because in kindergarten, I had a massive head. I literally had the same size head that I have now. And it was, you know, I was short too. So like one third of my body was this head. It was like this and then like a body and then legs right here. And so everybody called me big head first grade through eighth grade when I was in kindergarten. And that summer between kindergarten and first grade, I was like, when I come back next year, I'm not going to be the one that's picked on. I'm going to have a retort for everybody. If anybody hits me with anything, I'm going to have a response for them, whether they're fat or tall or skinny or whatever. Um, and that's really where it started. I mean, and, and, and I got so much joy from the laughs that I would get. It was like sometimes I would get in so much trouble. And, you know, my mom was rough on me because all the teachers and principals were telling 
um, her that I'm never going to be able to normally fit into society that I'm like just nothing but trouble that I'm obsessed with interrupting class and obsessed with making people laugh. And I'm so glad that they were right about that. It must've been nice when you grew into your head, like when you realize like, <laughs> that, like my head's not getting bigger, but your body is, and it's like, it's kind of balancing out normal. Right. <laughs> Oh, it took forever too. I was big head until like sixth or seventh grade. Like it was a hard six or seven year adventure of only being known for my head. I'd see people in grocery stores going double takes and like, I mean, it was just my identity. I only identified as a head back then. <laughs> and you, you write for people too. I'm always fascinated by comics who can do this, like writing for other people or writing for roasts. I get territorial about material and I'm also like, I don't have enough confidence to write for other people. You're comfortable sitting down with someone and just kind of like, I'm so shit in a pitch meeting, bouncing jokes around. I'm terrible at that. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I was like that for um, a long time, the first 15 years of my career. And then about two years ago, I, uh, I stopped all that, you know, when the pandemic hit, I really took an inventory of what I was doing and, where I was spending a lot of my energies and um, I stopped uh, writing for everything and anything. I, I just don't do it anymore. I take all of that energy and it's oh. my jokes now. So if some, if I write a great joke about something that happened that day, I get to do it that night. It's like all mine and it's so rewarding. It's so much more fun. And I wish I was like this much, much earlier in my career. Um, but I'm glad that I got it now. Again, it's another thing to where like, because I used to give so much away, even though I was doing stand up seven nights a week forever. Yeah. Um, giving that stuff away, it makes you wonder like, wow, I can't believe I gave that to this guy and he's doing it, you know, half an hour before me or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it, it is, yeah. you're watching like babies. It's like giving a baby up for adoption giving away a great edgy topical joke yeah but then you but then you you uh as you you wrote so much that that you still it probably puts you in a better it balances out the other side because now you're a better writer than you would have been oh my god a thousand percent i actually found a file because um with all of the things happening in la continuously now i'm watching a lot of my favorite places shut down a lot of the coffee shops that i wrote my first jokes and performed for the first time and all of these things they're really shutting down now it wasn't even during the pandemic they felt the heat they wanted to be safe then they wanted to only let vaccinated people in so they paid the price for that and now they're just shutting down and it's you know pretty depressing but one thing that it made me do is because the bourgeois pig just closed down it was this dark 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 even it even when the sun was blazing at 9 a.m they they were able to make it at this dark dingy but big coffee shop where you could get your own table and sort of just sit there and really grind it, it was great for me to grind out ideas and i anyway i wrote my first uh roast there it was roast of um quentin tarantino uh, for the Friars Club, working with Jeff Ross and uh, some other people, just creating a large file of jokes for all the people that were on the dais yeah. and whatever. And um, I was like, literally, this is a long time ago, 12 years ago or something. And I'm literally starving. I remember I had enough money for a pack of cigarettes and the coffee that I was drinking at the time. And um, I knocked out like whatever it was, 200 of the worst jokes you've ever seen in your entire life. I mean, just garbage, God awful <laughs> jokes. But what's interesting, you know, looking back at it, is that in those like horrendous jokes, there was perspectives and takes that led anybody who did know comedy, like Jeff, for example, to read it and go, oh, I know what the joke is here. Right. Like mine were long and clunky and the setup was way too long, like sentences, sentences and sentences too long. But it's so fun to look back and be like, ooh, there's a glimpse there of like what was to come. Like, that's such an interesting take. Like, you know, I don't know. But it's fun to look back and my God, the amount of growth is crazy. Now I know that like, you know, short, hard hitting, you know, I just know what I'm doing. Yeah. It's fun to think about that. It was years later, but 
do you remember what you did for Dana, man, with the uh, <laughs> on the show that we did looking for a fight? Yeah. You, now that's something you could still do because you're not going to use his jokes. Like that was yeah. specifically designed for Dana. For the, so the people that don't know what we're talking about, on an episode of Dana White looking for a fight, the L.A. episode, we did, you know, we always do weird, wacky things. We did stand-up comedy and unbehold to myself and Dean Thomas, Dana cheated by bringing Tony as a writer. Right. You know that? And little did, cheated. And little, and little, he, <laughs> he did cheat. And that was part of the storyline. But what we didn't plan for was you coming out and actually being a natural stand-up comedian. I mean, you buried the lead there, uh, Matt Sarah, <laughs> by coming out and absolutely crushing. I'm watching that and I'm literally like, oh, God, this is going to ruin everything. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy. And totally. Yeah. And totally Dana went out afterwards with these with these jokes. And like, it's funny because he let the pressure get to him. And I mean, it's probably exactly what he would say about me if he was watching me from his little monitor next to the octagon. And I said I could beat somebody up and he's watching me do what I do. Right. And I, you know what I mean? Like he just yeah. let the pressure get to him. And I think you crushing had a big part to do with that because you were so comfortable up there. Oh, you make me feel so bad. comfortable. It was scary how comfortable you were. That's one of those guys who can just talk, who can just yeah. talk and be funny. And you yeah. can't fake that because a crowd right. can sense if that's a lie. And Matt, you just have that natural thing. Can I tell and you the crowd? Yeah, I saw Tony. I saw Tony after that at Madison Square Garden. I think I was there with you, Jimmy. I swear to God. I oh, okay, you might have been. Yeah, this was ages ago, and Tony said the same thing he said right there. I didn't bring it up for that reason, but I did bring <laughs> it up because I did, first of all, I didn't think he'd remember Jimmy. I'm Tony. I didn't think he'd remember me from that, but oh, yeah, that yeah, does totally. make me feel so warm and fuzzy. I respect what you guys do so much. I'll never do it again. By the way, I'm done with that. Yeah. Thing. But I res yeah. I respect it. I love it. What do you think of Adam Hunter does something similar than what you did mm -hmm. for Dana? He does that with UFC guys. I didn't watch any of them yet. I will when the right guys go on, just so I can like goof on them if it's like. But it, you know, what do you think of that? Do you think it's only for a certain crowd? Because not everybody could like. I like, mean, sorry, Dean Thomas did well. You know. Yeah. yeah, Dean's Dean's the man. I mean, obviously, he's another natural entertainer. I think what he's doing on uh, the programs now in the UFC, it's literally like one of my favorite things. It's so cool getting his insight for 20 seconds yeah. during a massive fight. Like it's it, it I think it like doubled the value of the program. It's so cool. And, um, you know, you guys are just natural entertainers and that's showing. I mean, you've been doing this show forever. Uh, Dean is literally just flying up to the ranks, uh, I think, of the UFC staff, like entertainment commentator wise. And what's funny about that is that Dana can go in front of a press conference of people that want blood in his throat after these events and literally be the coolest cucumber that one can be. But you got to see him <laughs> pacing back and forth, staring at the ground after having to follow you. The story is totally different. That night's totally different if you don't destroy before him. Jim knows what I'm talking about here. If someone's, like he said, if someone's naturally funny, it could be your first time. It could be your 5,000th time. You could bury a legend on any given night, not to yeah. mention Dana, who's also trying for the first time and he's trying to remember these jokes and it's not a story. It doesn't, you know what I mean? He's trying to do real stand up. But yeah, he was that nervous. Was, uh, Tony. That was wild. Tony, he was nervous. It's the, it, that was, the only other time I saw him more nervous when he, when he was on that cliff in Hawaii that he never jumped. But uh, besides that, <laughs> he is the most he's, I ever seen him. Like He was nervous, sweating. It was fucking yeah. great. But the time he should be nervous, which, like you said, is at a press conference where they all want blood. Right. He's not. And he just he handles those things, which are a, a tremendous amount of. Uh, and there's something about the honesty of it. Like maybe, Matt, you were so honest on stage. And the fact that, well, Dana will go out of the press conference and go, yeah, that fight sucked. Like you, you kind of know that he's almost uh, it's an invincible strategy because you just kind of tell them the truth about what you thought. Uh, and there's really nothing they can do to you to get you because you're telling them what you're really thinking in retrospect the one note i wish i would have given dana is that is like looking back on it now if i could rewind i'd say treat this exactly like a post-fight press conference you and your jokes yeah. just you know it was a great night of fights they might you know be this way they might be that way but just, just look out there and see 
you know, those people, Brett Okamoto and Ariel Helwani, picture the audience instead of picturing them naked. Like people say, I would have told him picture the press conference. I don't think you want to picture him, picture an Ariel Helwani. I think he'll fucking... (laughs) He'll do, the op- he'll do the opposite of what happened to Will S- with Will Smith and Chris Rock. He'll come out there and fucking beat the shit out of him. But, uh, uh, but no. what I want to bring up, though, I've seen this before uh, online, is your show. You do a fucking awesome show. And for the people who don't know what it's about, I'd like you to explain it. And it's called Kill Tony. And yeah. uh, holy shit, man, it's fun as hell. Could you just explain what that is and where people can watch it? Yeah, we've been doing it for almost 10 years. It's on YouTube and anywhere where podcasts are available now. It's a it's the live show in front of always a sold out live audience. Um, now we do it here in Austin every Monday. It used to be at the Comedy Store every Monday. We've also traveled it in theaters all around the world. And uh, it is like a um, it's like a dirty talent show, but it features stand up comedy. People sign up. Sometimes it's local comedians. Sometimes it's uh, someone's first time that's been a fan of the show forever. They sign up before the show when they're entering the venue. And I end up with I sit at a table with a bucket of names and I pull a name out. They come up. They do 60 seconds of stand up comedy uninterrupted. Their best 60 seconds. And um, and then I interview them afterwards and they're a guest for seven or eight minutes standing there on the show. And we get to find out more about them if they have any, you know, crazy quick stories or special things about them and what they do and what, what their thing is. And I try to interview them as hard as I can in a short period of time, you know, while also obviously making fun of them and jokes and this and that and we have guests on. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's two. The night that, you know, for example, the episode that airs tonight is uh, Shane Gillis and Mark Normand. They were down in Austin a week or two ago. And hilarious. Uh, yep. And tonight we're filming a new one with Mary Lynn Rice Cub, who's a legend. And, um, you know, we're just having fun. Um, it's an absolute blast. I think we're stronger than ever. I do it with Ed Ban, who started the JRE with Joe Rogan, and he sits there on a sound effects board and makes sure that everything's working the whole time and contributes himself in very, very silly, immature ways. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. We have a live band, and the band here in Austin is super strong, amazing local musicians. Like, the music scene here is so cool and we're clashing that together with it, with the show. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just a big live energy. It's so much fun live. If anyone's ever in Austin or if they see it coming to them, eventually we're going to get back on tour here. It's just such a big crew to travel with that we completely stopped uh, during the pandemic and uh, we'll get back to it soon. But yeah. I did it in LA. It was fun. It was, uh, it was weird watching people just go up and be so raw and so new um and it's like you're nervous for them in a way and 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 a part of me is like because i love seeing somebody tank because again we know what it is so it's 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 not even a cruel thing like i love watching guys i respect bomb it's just fun to it's more interesting for me to watch somebody struggling on stage because you know how do they handle that uh because anyone knows how to handle killing but if you're eating your dick how do you handle that you are spot on. And, you know, it all came to be because I used to be the host of the open mic at the comedy store where Mitzi Shore famously only let people do three minute sets until you were past there. I mean, three minutes set, three minutes yeah. set, three minutes set every Sunday, every Monday. That's all that there was from 7 p.m. all the way till, you know, 2 a.m. is just tens and tens and tens and tens of people doing three minute sets. And I was always hosting those and I'd have to get go off the stage and get back on the stage every three minutes. One more time for blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Should have blah, 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 is blah, blah, blah. And then the next comedian comes up and I'm like, there's, there's so much more that I would love to do. And I think three minutes in a world where to anybody else to be like, that's a short set. But I'm like, I think it's just a little bit too long for like a podcast to listen to, to give someone who it might be their first time that much time on their own on a podcast on a show. I think we should down it down to 60 seconds. And in between, I can talk with them and about do the jokes that I really want to do about what they just did. And so, you know, here we are nine years and two months later, and uh, it's a it's a monster. I mean, we're sold out. We've been sold out for months and months and months in advance. Every show sold out. People are 
scalping tickets. That's great. There's, you know what I mean? It's just nuts. It's become a real, real, real. It, I mean, it is the thing to do on Monday nights here in Austin. It used to be, you know, the thing to do on Mondays at the comedy store when everything was booming there. You had Mondays kill Tony, Tuesdays roast battle and stand up throughout the week and weekend. Um, but now Austin's booming. I mean, we have all these great, great comedians. Duncan Trussell just moved here. Tim Dillon moved here. Tom Segura, Christina Pazinski. Oh, I didn't uh, know they went too. Jesus. Who's left, who's left in LA? Bert? He's like the only holdout. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Bert. And he's on a bus traveling everywhere with his, you know, with his shirt off. And um, <laughs> yeah. Have you discovered, have you discovered uh, any, any talents, like comedians from there? Oh yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, it is continuous. Everybody now I think, I mean, I'm sure there's great comedians that have always heard about New York and LA and they're moving there based on the, you know, what they've known and what's always been said about those two places. And I believe that those were the only two real options to go to if you wanted to be a real pro, I think, um, for decades. But there's something really wild happening here, this internet age where the Tonight Show doesn't matter and... Yeah. And no one cares about the late show anymore. Um, in fact, those might be things that sort of like dorking up someone's career a little bit. You know what I mean? Like people might look at that like, oh, they sold out a little bit. How cheesy. And you have to do, you know, people want raw stuff just like they always have. You know, Jim, Joe was telling me out of nowhere because we were talking about I was talking about how I have too many dick jokes in my act. I don't know if I can say that. Can I sure. say dick jokes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he goes, man, you, you never have too many dick jokes. I remember, I can't remember how long ago he said, he goes, I once went and saw Jim Norton do his hour. He may have, I can't remember whether it was 10, 15, whatever years ago. And he goes, I swear to God, 50 minutes of the hour was dick jokes. And I was howling and the crowd was <laughs> dying. No one cares about too many dick jokes as long as you know it's funny nobody yeah. cares that was austin and, actually i believe that was what i did cap city joe is in town and he came I th i'm gonna guess that's the one he meant yeah and uh but he said that it was fantastic and you know i'm doing good it's fun but um yeah i can't remember what i was just the idea saying. of cleanliness dude yeah. and i agree with you too as right. long as you're original and funny like the idea again it's not 1992 where hey i want to do my six minutes and then hopefully i'll get montreal and hopefully get a, a deal like all that shit that's seven clean minutes it's great if you haven't you want to do tonight's show or colbert it's all great but to, to think that that's the only route with integrity is where comics go wrong uh, and they wind up being fucking cornballs who are saying like, you know, and then I showed her my PP and it's like, you fucking, right. what are you doing with these euphemisms in this day and age? Right. It's ludicrous. Right, right, right. And it tasted like sadness and it, and it felt like loneliness and they're all doing the same jokes. Like there's yeah. only, there's only so much you could do. It's funny because there's only so much you could do if you wanted to be dirty, right? There's sure. private parts and fart noises. I mean, there's like things, there's dirty and then there's clean, but it seems like there's becoming less and less in the clean thing. I don't know how they do it. It's like amazing, but I sleep really, really good at night knowing that, you know, I am talking about the stuff that I want to be talking about now. Yeah, I and believe I do 40 minutes on pussy lips and my head hits the pillow and I'm right out. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I'm talking about? You know exactly what I'm talking about. That's what's fun is like, doing the actual stuff that slams man you know and especially nowadays i mean these other things netflix used to be a little bit tougher uh, everything used to be a little bit tougher and now it's getting harder and harder to find these things you know it, even netflix is giving people insane notes and you know someone like ricky gervais they can try to make it look and dave Chappelle, they're sure. making these undeniable figures controversial and it's just such a joke and I think it's only helping people want to see naughty shows again. You know what I mean? Like they want to feel like it's sort of wrong when you go to a stand-up show. You know, I, I was, I don't know. I was on my way to do, I was on my way to do uh, Buffalo Helium. You ever do that one, Jim? I, I have. Yeah, I think I did it yeah. this year, actually. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was a rescheduled show. I got COVID and had to reschedule it and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it was sold out or whatever, but I'm driving, I'm in an Uber coming from the hotel and I'm like, whoa, what's going on there? There's a massive, massive line. 
And um, the driver's like, oh, John Mulaney's performing at that arena right next door to you uh, tonight. And, <laughs> and I couldn't help but to look out the window at these, this long line of like hokey, hokey people. I mean, they look like they're on their way to like a Chuck E. Cheese like festival, like a daytime, like something. And I'm, and, and I'm looking at thousands of people and I'm like, none of those people look like the people that I'm about to see in my show right. at Helium. Like it's so, they're all wearing like, like Easter clothes and stuff. I'm like, this is not what it's so crazy that he can have thousands of those types of fans. And I love it. Good for him. I'm not hating on John right, right, Mulaney. Right. I'm just hating on his fans, the people that because none of the funny thing is too, like none of them to be clean and be that successful, because he's pretty clean, or like yeah. Gaffigan, you have to be like unique. Like I'll watch Jim Gaffigan clips. And it's like, he's completely clean. I'm like, he's so original and funny. Like guys that make it that big uh, with that type of fan base clean are usually really good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Mulaney's fans will never be my, like, I, I, that's why I'm happy for a guy like that. Cause it's not like that guy in that sweater is either going to come see Jim Norton or John Mulaney. Uh, they're right. going to see John Mulaney or anybody but Jim Norton. It's, it's never right. going to be between me and him. 100%. 100%. Yeah, that's why I'm and happy a, for that uh, yeah. Shane, Shane Gillis. Like what happened with him in SNL? That's almost mm -hmm. a blessing in disguise because he's guy, bigger now than he would have been. Yes, that guy's yep. hysterical. I don't think I would have found him if he went on SNL. I don't watch. Yep. That. I mean, yeah, nobody nobody's watching it. And, it. and he and I think it made him stronger. You know, the same thing happened to me. It's like when I when I had that crazy uh, yep. stuff happen to me last May, um, you know, where where someone pretended like they were mad about something that I did, even though that they they knew personally me and my style and what I was doing and that it actually fit the mold for that moment at that show. Sure. Um, but, it, you know, obviously the the world news covered me for some reason for a few days during that period. And it was rough, man. And when I did stand up again for the first time, I think it was five days later here in Texas. Um, it like changed, it changed me. It made me a different type of beast, like being wronged publicly. Um, I mean, I guess there's two types of people, one that would crumble, but I think true standups like Shane, like something like that happens to them and it gives them like this big boost of strength because it's like, I'm going to, tr I'm going as cheesy as it sounds. It's like, I'm going to show you guys what, you know what's going on here and, yeah and because they, you know yeah. that you can either collapse or you have to just fucking say fuck this and walk through it like you have yeah. to there's no other choice yeah. um yeah yeah i'm glad you're doing well man and and you yeah. are we have to jump because we our next guest is in the waiting room i love but, it but uh I, i'm i'm i really like what you do tony a lot and i'm happy your podcast is so successful and uh you know you held up and you're doing just as well as you were doing before which is just it's great to see man Better than ever. When you come to Austin, let me know, Jim, and uh, we'll get you on the show again. We'll have some fun. And uh, thank yeah, I'd you, love Matt. That. Thank anything you, Jim. Else? Tony, anything else you want to plug? Or No, that's it. I'm on tour with my stand-up comedy, TonyHinchcliffe.com. A lot of fun dates coming up. Uh, Tampa, uh, Philly, New York. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Phoenix. Yeah, it's all coming up again. TonyHinchcliffe.com for tickets. That's just me. And check out Kill Tony on YouTube. That's it. Let me know when you're in New York. I would love to we'd have you on the radio show uh, on Sirius. It'd be great to see you. Definitely. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. 
Cody, nice to meet you, man. Nice to meet you too, brother. You're a legend. Oh, fuck, man. Thank <laughs> Cody. That just means I'm getting old. But, dude, <laughs> dude you are a beast, man, because you went in there. You went into that fight knowing you were going to get your hand raised. Who was the favorite going into it? Were you the favorite or was, was Treason? No, I don't think so. I think Gore was favorite, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Treason was. So there you go. I know what it's like to be like kind of counted out. You went in there not giving a shit about the odds. <laughs> but where does that confidence come from, buddy? Um, I think a lot of it is just the training partners I have, the guys I'm working with. You know, I'm training with Dustin Jacoby, uh, who's an absolute killer. And this guy was supposed to be a striker. And everybody was writing me off that he was going to knock me out. And I just think it wasn't only just kind of disrespectful to me, but it's disrespectful to the guys that I'm working with and uh, the people around me, you know, like, I don't know. I didn't really get the narrative. The guy was only three and one. Uh, he didn't had never really beat anybody that I felt like was UFC level. And I didn't feel like it took too much looking into to see that. So, uh, yeah, I was super confident going in. You also, during uh, when they were talking about you as, as the fight, I might have been Bisping that said it, uh, where you said this uh, Gore is terrified of getting tired. So your thing was that you were going to grind on him and really and, and just drain his arms of any energy. How did you know he was terrified of getting tired? Had you heard him say that? Did you know someone who trained with him? Uh, well, I just watched his fights and he's super low volume. He would hurt guys and he didn't really have killer instinct to jump on him and finish the fight. Uh, all those things kind of lead me to believe that he's, he's worried about his cardio. Uh, if you're not worried about your cardio and, and you drop someone, you're going to go for the finish. You know, you're not going to let them recover. So, uh, just a, a few things like that, you know? Okay. So you look for that. Uh, and was, was that your plan at first? Like I'm going to do this to him. And, and if so, what, what kind of got you away from that and got, and got you said, got you into a more striking uh, battle? Uh, yeah, so I was my original plan was like, hey, I'm gonna wrestle him, which I did. I, you know, I took him down, held him down for like a minute, just kind of grinded on him a little bit. Um, and then when we broke off, I started landing my jab. Like every jab I threw was landing, and I was like, mm, you know, I feel like worst case, I could just jab this kid for 15 minutes and win the fight. Uh, and I didn't want to force myself into a position where uh, I might get hurt or. Um, you know, because sometimes when you start taking bad wrestling shots just to wrestle, you put yourself in compromising position, you get tired. Uh, and I didn't feel like I needed to do that. I felt like I was winning all the exchanges on the feet. I felt like I was seeing everything he was throwing. You know, sometimes you don't have good nights in the office and you get cracked, but sometimes you have really good nights in the office and you're seeing everything. I felt like he was missing with all his big shots and uh, I was able to find him. So I didn't feel like I needed to force the fight anywhere. You know, you know, because it was labeled uh, grappler versus striker, when the fight ended, you were yelling, uh, what, were you, what were you yelling again? Just a I, thought, I thought we were wrestling. I thought <laughs> we were wrestling. And now, is that, now where did that, is that where it stemmed from? Like, All right, this guy thinks I'm just a wrestler. He doesn't realize the power I have in these fucking hands. Yeah, like in the face-off, he's like, shoot all night. I'm ready for it. And I just felt like that was super disrespectful. I'm like, bro, I, I feel like I can strike, you know? and. And I proved it, you know, but uh, yeah, he just thought I was going to come in and, and wrestle for my life. And I didn't feel like ever that that was necessarily what I had to do to win. And by the way, someone's saying shoot all night. I'm ready for it. Anybody who wanted you to shoot all night probably wouldn't have said that. Um, nobody, because you're not going to tell somebody to do, uh, you're going to try to psych them out to not do it. You know, so he probably was, didn't you, maybe you were really right in that assessment about he did was worried about you shooting. So he figured if he said that you wouldn't shoot. Oh, I, I think so for sure. You know, he he kept saying he came up to me after the face off and was like, man, I'm not an asshole. I just I'm really competitive and my wrestling's really good. And you're going to see and I'm like, man, I've never felt the need to go tell someone like, hey, I have really good striking before I fight them. I just know that I do. I believe in it. So yeah. I don't have to convince myself or convince my opponent that it's something I'm able to do. I just got to go show it. And so the more he was doing things like that, I was like, man, this kid has no confidence. This is what he has to do to gas himself up to get in there. And uh it just fed into my confidence. Well, Jimmy, I was going to say, I knew, I knew Cody had confidence when he came out to um, working nine to five. By nice. Oh, you know? yeah. Now, where does, that, where does that come from? Uh, so I walked out of that song since I was an amateur. And I just like it, man. I think the people, like, I like the crowd being excited. And when that song comes on, at first the crowd's kind of quiet. They're like, what the hell is this? And then they get excited. They're like, okay, they're all vibing to it. Uh, I feel like what we do is already so intense and so serious that I don't need to be more jacked up. I don't need some crazy heavy hitter song to come on and, and pump me up. I'm already pumped to the max. So it kind of gives me 
just a little moment of like, okay, we're having fun. This is what we're doing it for. You know, we enjoy doing this. It's not something I have to do. I'm choosing to do it. Uh, it just gives me that moment where I can be like, okay, this is a good thing. This is a fun thing that I'm doing. Uh, and, and relaxes me a little bit. And it's a great song. Who doesn't like that song? I'm so fucking old. I saw that movie in the theater after shoveling snow one day. My friend took me to see that with Dolly Parton and Dabney Coleman, Lily Tomlin. I forget who the other woman was, uh, but it was a damn good movie. It's a great song. It's a fun song. So you're right. You don't have to portray any image when you're walking out. You're walking out to fight. Exactly. That's a movie. Did you even know that that's a movie or no? No, I no, it's old shit. Jimmy, you old fuck. I am. I can't help it. I saw it in the theater. It was really good. Uh, I'll hey, have to go Jimmy. watch it now. Yeah, Jimmy and Cody. I don't want to listen. I saw it in the theater too. I don't want to. Oh, you did. And it was fucking good. It was. It so was good. good. And not for anything. Dolly Parton was a different type of sex symbol back then. You know? <laughs> and me, Jimmy, as you know, I'm an ass man. Yes, but you are. Parton, I, you know. Anyway, back to Cody. Listen, Cody. Again, Dolly Parton was back in the day. She yeah, she's a very busty gal. Yeah. Yes. Cody, first of all, for our audience, it's your first time on here. Where are you from and what is the first discipline? Was it wrestling that you first got into? Yeah, wrestling was the first thing I did. I'm originally from South Carolina, uh, yeah. which wrestling's not really a hot, it's not a hotbed in the Southeast. Uh, but I, I grew up wrestling. I wrestled in college in South Carolina too, uh, at Newberry College. We're a Division II school. Um, we were always like top 10 when I was there. And, uh, and then from there I moved to Michigan to coach college wrestling and then just kind of found fighting. And, you know, I feel like it's hard when, when you've been on teams your whole life, uh, you know, those are all your friends. So you don't have to go make friends because your teammates are your friends. So then when you get in the real world and you don't have that team to fall back on, you're like, damn, I'm kind of lonely. <laughs> so then when I found fighting, I had another team built in friends and all that kind of stuff. And then obviously I was, I was pretty decent at fighting and, uh, turned it into something bigger and your wife's a fighter as well did you guys uh, is this how you met was in the gym or how did you guys meet yeah so uh i would go in in the mornings and, and just hit the bag and i was just a wrestler i had no idea what i was doing i was a fan of mma uh and a wrestler had no hands or anything and she was a gold gloves boxer and she would try oh. to tell me she would like try to come coach me i didn't know who she was at the time uh, and i was like get away from me you're 115 pound girl you don't know what you're talking about <laughs> And little did I know she was in the UFC and knew way more than me. And so, yeah, she, she was my coach before she was anything. And then obviously turned into something more from there. It must be nice. Like, I've never fought a girl who could handle herself because I can't fight for shit. So I would love to f date somebody who's a fucking boxer or could, could take care of things. That must be a great feeling. Like, if she goes out by herself, you don't have to worry. Yeah, it's a nice feeling until she comes watches my, my training and she's got all these pointers about why uh, I suck. And, notes, you know, yeah. I'm just, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. No, she's uh, – <laughs> She's definitely tough on me. She's a, she's a tough coach, but uh, I appreciate her for sure. And you used to, I was reading something about how you don't, like you used to be much more into trash talk and stuff like that. Was it one of those things that faded naturally or did you find it, it wasn't effective for you? What changed for you? Uh, so as an amateur, you know, like I was just a fan of the sport and I felt like that's how you, what, what you did. Like that's, that's how the big stars made it. And then I realized, you know, like it's just way easier and better to be genuine. You know, I go back and look at some of the stuff that I would like, I like call people out as an amateur. I'm like, man, it's so cringy. I'm like deleting it as fast as I can before more people <laughs> can see it. But uh, I just think fighting is tough and like you deal with a lot of stress and, and when you're trying to portray something you're not on top of that it's really hard to do so uh yeah that was early in my amateur career since then you know i'm like i just need to be genuine be who i am i feel like it's a lot it's a lot more relatable a lot more likable and it's a lot easier for me as well <clears throat> uriah faber i heard say that once to that attitude of like guys i think we were talking about staring you down or having a, a mean look on their face and he's like we're gonna fight like what are you doing like we're going to fight like this is gonna happen so you don't none of that stuff matters it doesn't um has it ever bothered you has anybody ever gotten to you because i've seen fighters be affected by other guys talking shit connor was always very good at like for real getting in someone's head um has, has it ever affected you negatively when someone else got on you uh, no, you know, this opponent was kind of the first one that's really talked a bunch of shit. Uh, but it didn't bother me. Cause like you said, at the end of the day, we're going to get in the cage. We're getting a fist fight. So everything that you say, you got to back up and answer for. And the more shit you say, the more pressure you have on your shoulders. You know, you don't want to be the guy talking a bunch of shit and then you go get knocked out because you look silly. So, uh, it didn't bother me. Uh, and also you kind of know, I feel like, uh, the guys that are going to do that. So you can kind of prepare for it. You know, you know, who has the reputation of who's going to try to get in your face and talk shit and, that's who they are. And so 
you're preparing for these guys for eight weeks, not just for their physical skills, but all of that. You know, I, I was ready for all of that. How do you guys, and Matt, I'll ask you too, how do you guys know the difference between a guy who is being vocal and talking a lot of shit because that really is just his nature and he's confident and the guy who's doing it to kind of give himself confidence? Like some guys just do it because they like to do it and other guys seem to be making up for something. How do you tell the difference? Um, I think... I think I can tell pretty well when it's when it's genuine and when it's not and when it's just ego or, or lack of confidence. Uh, like with Connor, like Connor in the beginning when he would do it, it's like, oh, this is genuine. This is actually the kind of person he is. He's kind of funny. Uh, the stuff he said, he wasn't it didn't seem like it was planned out. It could have been, but it didn't really seem like it was planned out. But now, like you watch Connor and like everything he says is like, well, he was planning on saying that he's trying to stick these one liners in that don't really fit. And like. So you can see the change in like how he talks shit now. And like, uh, there's other people like Sean O'Malley, I feel like is a good shit talker, right? Like he seems pretty genuine with his shit talk. Uh, but I think that's because in his mind, he's just calling it how he sees it. That's what he actually sees, whether that's actually the case or not. That's how he sees it. So it's easy for him to talk shit. Whereas other people, you can definitely tell when it's, when it's forced. Yeah. Jimmy, like for, for example, with myself, with people with me, uh, Matt Hughes, He'd say you put five welterweights on a, on a piece of paper and I'm the easiest fight. I don't belong in there with him and that type of thing. And uh, then you put like a fucking Frank Trigg and he said, I'm, I'm uh, like Snooky from the Jersey Shore. See, I don't take the second one as serious because he's being silly. He's making short jokes and this and that. Right. And the other guy's literally, he legitimately, don't make me say that word. <laughs> you, you, you had it, actually. He legitimately. Now you're making me right in front of Cody. No, come on. You got it, man. I'm telling I have faith. He, he really believes <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that I don't belong in there with him type of thing. So that's like almost like, oh, you motherfucker. And the other guy's just being silly. So okay. I don't know. That's a couple. That's, that's one example. You know? Yeah, I'm always. I'm always way, you know, you get to go in there with him. So that's the good thing about it. Yeah, but I I always wondered, like, again, but again, as a non-fighter, does it ever get into, like, I mean, obviously you guys are going to fight, so you're not intimidated, but does it ever put you in a mindset like, fuck, this guy must really know he's going to win this fight, or do you have to just block that out? Tell him, Cody. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't put me in a mindset like, oh, he's more confident than me. It did kind of piss me off, some of the stuff he was saying, but like Matt said, like, at the end of the day, we're getting in there, and we're at the highest point of confrontation, Uh, so you get to kind of deal with it in there you don't have to be like this guy talked shit to me and i didn't get to handle it you know i just had to he kind of showed me up like no one can show you up because you get the opportunity to handle business so it's not too it's not that big a deal right and yeah did you guys talk after he actually came in my doctor's office after and told me that it was a bad stoppage and that they should have let him keep going and a bunch of other shit and i was like man can you just get away from me bro? no like, it was not a bad stop he looked like he was actually out and I'm he not, looked yeah. like he actually went out yeah he was out for sure and like i don't know i i kind of looked at the ufc people like maybe don't let him in here because i'm not an asshole but if i was an asshole i could easily be like man go fuck yourself get out of here you know and so i didn't do that because obviously i've been on the other side right i've lost and and got finished in the first round it sucks uh, I never went to someone else's locker room and was like, that wasn't fair. And I should, like, you know, but I can understand the motions are crazy. When, yeah, when right like after. So. And, and, and who knows what kind of frame of mind he was in. Or right. Was, like, you know, you just rattled his brain. And that's one of the reasons. And let me just point out for the people that are getting new into um, jujitsu or submission grappling. And you, you know what? I know, like, especially in submission grappling, Cody, maybe you could relate with this. No gi grappling. Some guys are avoiding the mount. They avoid the mount because a little bit of space. Now they're attacking your leg. You should try to achieve that mount for exactly what happened the other night with you. I mean, look how devastating it is when you're on top of somebody like that. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Even if he could hit you, there's nothing on it. And I mean, you take yeah, for sure. athleticism, you got all leverage and gravity behind you. You want to get a mount, a powerful, devastating mount, which you are. Yeah, I agree. I feel like a lot of people avoid mount because they they're doing it wrong. They go to that low mount where guys can kind of get their whole body involved. Like when I took mount, I took high mount immediately. You know what I mean? So I was able to get really the only defense he had was to try to wrap me like he did. And it only takes a few shots from there to put you out. So uh, I agree. I think mount's a great position.
Wait, there's guys that avoid that. I, I didn't know that. There's guys that avoid mount on the floor. Like what? I don't know. What did you mean by going for your legs, Matt? Well, Jimmy, it's more so in submission grappling, no gi grappling, especially oh. now with the um with everybody. You know, still people are on. They're more on like you know they they caught on to it a lot and everybody's but in the, like the leg locks are very devastating. You know, so some guys are like I right, look when I get mount opposed to being on top cross side, if they could you know they can't get the legs as easy as if I'm mounted on them, they buck up and push on your hips, bring a knee through the middle. Now they can also attack your legs. So uh, people are like, all right, look, I don't want them on my legs. I'm not going to mount. So that's what I'm talking about. More like submission grappling, but they got to realize for both any kind of fight, MMA or especially a street situation, you want to develop a good mount. You know what I mean? You don't want to, especially for a fight because you cannot strike in submission grappling. You know what I mean? So right. That's why they're like, I right, fuck it. I'm not gonna, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to rant. Well, Cody, what's and what's next for you? Do you know what's next for you? I mean, obviously, you'd probably be ready to fight relatively soon. I mean, you didn't seem like you took any damage or very, very little. Yeah, I'll be ready. I'm going to Long Island this week to corner my boy Dustin Jacoby. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited for that. Uh, he was out there with me, and then uh, so it's that's a good relationship I have, and I'm excited for him to do work. And then I'll be back in the gym, just training. And the UFC will call me. I'll say yes, and we'll make it happen. <laughs> Well, I look forward to seeing you again, man. Congrats on a very exciting win uh, and, and a really, uh, I mean, I know it felt good after, after what happened before the fight, so I'm sure that felt just a little bit better. Yeah, just a little sweeter for sure. All right, well, uh, Cody Brundage, really appreciate it, man. We'd love to have you back again, and it was, it was great talking to you. Nice to meet yeah, you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, brother. appreciate you guys. Okay, congratulations, man. Take care, Cody. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. See, I didn't know that about people not uh, avoiding mount. I had no idea. Well, it's like a lot of it in submission grappling because they're like, sometimes, depending on the tournament, it's submission only. Like, they don't get points for mount. But the reason why, when they first started, like, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, point system, like the Gracie, like over in Brazil for the IBJJF um, tournament style, Jiu-Jitsu tournaments at the beginning, you get more points what's better in a street fight. So, obviously, if a submission ends the match, so like it would end the fight, but if you don't get a submission, whoever's dominating a position gets the most points. So they start on your feet, two points, you get a takedown. If you're in the guard, if you pass the guard, that's a better position for a fight. If you're yeah. on the side, so that's three points. The best, the best position, the most points, uh, you get for the best position in a street fight, you get awarded the most points. So if you get full mount, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, uh, Cody just had over the weekend. Uh, that's devastating for a fight. So you get four points back with both hooks where you can do the rear naked choke or have them flattened out. Hey, four points also. And so that gets guys conditioned, even though you're not having a real fight, you're grappling to develop getting those positions and getting solid. So when you are fighting, you're used to getting into that position. Yes, right. Exactly. Smart, very there, smart. If there's no points, all right, well, all right, we're both going to sit back. We're going to entangle our legs. We're going to, it's, it's still very dangerous. You become very efficient on taking limbs but you still want to be very dominant, like positionally. And you want to get that mount. I didn't look, am I, I didn't in th that situation with me in Vegas, I didn't sit down and take him to an Ashigarami. That guy is so drunk. I'd have to break his fucking leg for him to stop. I mean, I can maybe hold him and he'll be trying to kick me. And I mean, I'd have to break his heel or I could mount him and just hold him and say, Hey, listen, right. Just, you could have broke know. his heel if you had to. Yeah. What's that? You could have broke his heel if you had to. 
Jimmy, I could have took all his limbs off. But that has nothing to do with I want to be Matt Sarah. I love you. RDA should keep his head up. You know how. Yeah. Great, great fight. It was a great fight. And you were asking me earlier, did I if, you, if you had a 2-2, two, two, yeah. Uh, I might have to watch it again, Jimmy. I, I'm not sure. It was close, though. What, yeah. what do you think? I thought, I thought RDA looked stronger as the fight went on, too. And again, I think his strategy was, again, to see how Fazeev does later in the rounds. I mean, RDA's been through a lot of five-round fights. I mean, he's gone the distance. I think this was Fazeev's first. So you had to say he had to be willing to test him a little bit. And I think that Fazeev showed a little bit of getting tired, especially in that fourth. Uh, but in that fifth, wow, he came out good. Uh, I, I remember thinking, like, you know, somebody should, if whoever makes a statement in this round, so, you know, it could have been 2-2. But I'll tell you, he, you know, uh, Rafael, you know, he, 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 that was a huge test for him. And then he passed it. And I want to see what's next to him, man, because, damn, he's, he's, look, I mean, he's answering the call. I mean, RDA is not an easy guy to get there. What did you think? Of, I, I thought that Michael Johnson, it was very close, him and Jimmy Malarkey. It was a close fight. It, it came down to that first round. I know they both dropped each other. Malarkey dropped him later in the round. I, th- I thought Michael Johnson should have got it, but it's not like you could say it's the worst robbery you've ever seen. I, I just kind of felt like Michael should have got that out of that one. I, I thought Johnson had the first, I thought, and the third. To be yeah. Honest. I thought he lost the second. I'm like, uh-oh. Oh, he definitely lost the second, yeah. I'm like, is he just getting tired now? Is this what's going to happen? Uh, is he, is he going to be – and then he pulled – and then it's like he got a uh, resurgence in that third round. Yeah. And I was like uh, – impressed with it i go he i go he got it i go he i remember thinking he got it after that third round or he should have got it but like you said it was close so it's not like you could say you know that those judges were full of yeah um and fazeev is talking about fighting gaichi who who doesn't want to see fazeev you know i'm so stupid i didn't even catch that until you said Jimmy, i really had this i didn't think i had this whole to say it the whole thing but thank you for anyway fazeev gaichi who doesn't want to see that fucking fight I want to see it, Jimmy. Wow. That would be phenomenal, man, because he is an accurate guy, and I want to see him leaning back. I like the fucking the recliner. He should call it the recliner. When he, when the guy, when he guy does the kick and he goes straight back. Yeah. I don't know. Listen, exactly. We didn't see it that much in his last fight, but I do like it. Yeah, and Dos Anjos fought really smart. I mean, he obviously knew what he had to do to, to, to get him a little tired into the later rounds. And I don't think it's been updated. Uh, Fazeev was 10. I don't believe the, uh, the um, standings have been updated, but I would love to see him against Gaethje. Um, I think that's a fight that everybody would like to see. Hey, man. Chase Sermon. Oh, my God, yeah. Chase Great win for Chase. Sherman. I mean, where, what, what happened there? Where did that come from? they were going back and forth. Um, he looked really good, but he has a great chin on him. And so does Jared uh, Vandara uh, or Vandara. I'm not trying to say the last name, but uh, they were going back and forth. I mean, they were really, really both taking a tremendous amount of shots. You don't see heavyweights usually uh, take those kind of shots for that long, especially into the third round. It was a great fight. Uh, Jody, uh, uh, Jimmy, I don't know who the fuck. Listen, Jimmy had that old song. It was a rap song. It was based on a Probably. Uh, what? What was it called? I said I probably did. It was it was a it was but it was your name, so you had to know it. It was a, it was a, a rap song and it was about condoms. They the J, the I, the M, the M, the Y, the J, the I, the M. It's Jimmy. Was that KRS One and Boogie Down Productions? It's Jimmy. Let's Hold do it on. together. The J. No, I don't want to do it. Jimmy, let's do it. Jimmy, let's do it together. All right. The J, the I, the M, the M, the Y, the J, the I, the M. It's Jimmy. Jimmy. Let's see, I came back on cue. <laughs> and I believe that was Boogie Down Productions, KRS-One. Let me look that up. One day you're going to want to have fun with me. I love you. Hold on. And then All you're right. going to do it. I'm going to actually, I'm going to shy away from it. You're going to start. That would be very, that would be very hurtful. You're going to weird me out. Yeah, that's that's a boogie down production. You know, you had, by any had, means necessary. What's that? When that came out, you were probably like young, so you, like really young. So you were probably singing that like you because you were probably doing something like this to yourself. Came out, you were probably like that was a great album. Uh, that was a tremendous album. Uh, by oh, by all means necessary. Sorry, um, Malcolm X said by any means necessary, and this is by all means necessary. Great, great boogie down productions record. Now back to the show. Yes, back to the I show. Wanted to, I don't know. It was just, I like that song. Um, oh, by the way. Yes. Uh, tell me, what, what do you think of uh, 
which one was I looking at? And I, and, and it, it didn't. This, I mean, I don't want to be too tough on it. The Chukwu over Robertson. I mean, that was that was quite a. Uh, that was extremely dominant. God damn it, Jimmy! What? what? I, I was about to say, and then you throw that at me. But I, is that the one you mean? I'm sorry. No, no, no. But uh, that was dominant. Which one did you just say? Uh, Zuchuku against uh, uh, Roberson. Yeah, man, I thought that was extremely dominant, and uh, I'll tell you, man, he's got some. He's his timing is just fucking. Yeah, I mean, he's got really good grappling. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's got long arms too. He's a very long guy. You know, I I liked what I seen, and also, uh, really quick, David uh, Onama when he defeated uh, Garrett Armfield with that uh, arm triangle. Uh, beautiful. And can I just say that Garrett Armfield was beginning to do the correct escape, which would have been what was the correct what, what, what was the correct escape? Well, this he was getting him in the um, the head and arm choke. Okay, the arm triangle. Okay, same thing. Look, so he has him like this. Yeah. And so he tried to bring the nearest leg around and grab around his leg, his near leg. You he grab your own leg. Yes, he grabbed his own leg and he was pulling, but then it was so tight that he that he that he got caught. So some people like to do the telephone, which I don't like. You, you don't know. like to answer the telephone? No, absolutely What not. do you like? You know why? Why? You know who's calling? Who? The Sandman. Sandman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I stop it. Listen, so now I don't like that because I'll still put you to sleep. But if you- If someone's, wait, someone's answering the phone, you could still knock, you could still choke him out? Uh, yes. We did that. Remember we had Ari Shafir in studio and I put him in it. Remember Ari Shafir? Very vaguely, yes. I remember Neil deGrasse Tyson and you wrestling on the floor. He tried to he tried to do that. I don't know if you were in studio that day. I don't remember. And, and I and I, I put it on him. It was cute. It was funny. I I shouldn't say it was cute. It was cute. But um, so anyway, he had the right escape and he ended up getting choked anyway. The difference is this you can't grab your wrist when you're doing that, Jimmy. Why? I want to show because you have to grab. Let's picture if I'm grabbing around my leg. Yeah. If I didn't have a broken leg, I'd show you. Oh, right. Yeah. So I'm grabbing around this way. Yep. I'm grabbing around the leg. When I straighten it, you have to interlock your fingers like this. See the grip? Yep. Because when I extend my leg from this and I get my leg and I extend it, I'm opening up my carotid artery. You understand? But holding the wrist is not good enough. No, because that'll break off. Even if he tries to put the knee on the belly to break this grip, it'll just help me extend. So that and then you could do that with because they're locked. Yes, yes. This is gonna give. This is this is Gabe, and then he got screwed. Have you so, ever gotten out of one of those by using your hands like this? Not only did I have Petrago sell when he fought uh, Thales Lates the same day when I uh, won the title in Houston, Texas, back in the day. He had him in that shit all day long, and and even though Drago Petrago sell did not win that fight, he survived the fight. Yes, and he did it by using that defense, and uh, so you know. Battle tested. How is your leg, by the way? Not bad, buddy. Not bad. Good. It's healing up. It's healing up. I got my first day of PT tomorrow. Good, good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. I went to little, um, we have a, you know, I, I didn't, my first time leaving the really the house, you know, I didn't really go places besides I took my kid to dance the other day. I went to uh, one of my students, you know, uh, like the whole family trains with me, the, the father, John, uh, and his like ex-wife, uh, Luciana, her sister, Erica, we got the kids there. So one of the kids who was like five years old, six years old, had like a little birthday party, Cosmo. And he lived near me. So what I did, me and the whole Sarah clan, we showed up over there. They were happy we came by. It was cute. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, listen, you got to surround yourself with good people, Jimmy. You do. Yes, Life you do. Short, and so are we. What other fights do we have to talk about? Oh, uh, oh, Jimmy, Jimmy, I'm sorry. Before yes. You, by the way, that, that Onama choke was awesome. Good job, David. Yeah. Uh, and the fight I was mentioning, I wanted to mention before, was Antonino Shevchenko. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy, why do I fucking, why was the Because we all, it, it's sometimes, there are words that we all trip on sometimes. It happens. Yeah, Shevchenko versus Courtney Casey. I, I you know what? I, I, I don't want to, Antonina's is so, and she, she was good. She fought well. I thought Courtney should have got it, though. I really did. I thought she won. I, I, I did. So, I don't know. I, I, but it was close. It was close. But I remember thinking, all right, that last, I, I think Courtney won it two rounds to one. So, uh, I don't know. What did you think? Um, yeah, I was fine with that. Uh, again, you're better at uh, judging those fights than I am as far as, like, you know, I, I can easily be swayed 
Um, I didn't have a problem with the decision. I could see like, all right, maybe Courtney won two to one. I didn't have a problem with the decision, though, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, listen, what the fuck do I know? No. Anyway, Jimmy. But I mean, I- honestly, when it comes to something like that, I would always, uh, I would trust your judgment more than mine because there's times where I see something and I think like, oh yeah, that was close. And you'll go like, uh, no, no, it wasn't. It's got to be at this point, a straight up robbery for you to be like, all right. Like with Michael Johnson, in, in the Johnson fight, if you had said like, no, no, I really thought Malarkey got it, I probably would, all right, I guess you're right. Um, I just remember thinking that he, you know, sometimes it's, maybe it's just because I like Michael so much. Or, I'm thinking that also too, because I'm like, yeah, I like the guy who's just on. Yeah, do I have, do I, does that interfere with my judgment? Either way, close fight, Jimmy. Yeah. Jimmy, I had such a good time with you today. Yeah, me too, buddy. It was great seeing uh, Cody, of course, and uh, the great Tony Hinchcliffe. Um, really a fun episode. Yeah, man. So, dude, plug what you want to plug. Because we're going to talk in a couple of days. I'm going to be coming up in Denver at the end of this month. Maybe I'll see Sanhagen when I'm out there, if he's if he's still out there. Um, or if he's there at the moment that I'm there. And I also have Rochester. I have Rhode Island. And I also have Minneapolis. Every Wednesday from now until the end of the summer, catch me at the Fat Black Pussycat here in New York City. Every Wednesday, 7 p.m., I'm running my full hour. It's been great. And get me get a cameo if you want one. I'm on cameo. And so is I'm Matt. On, I'm on cameo also. All right, goodbye. And also, Sarah yeah. BJJ Huntington, if you live around there, you want some jujitsu, come yep. down. People always come in. Oh, what are you doing here? I go, ah, oh, silly. My name's on the wall. Yep. I don't know. But I do say that. Jimmy, I will, uh, I'll talk to you in a couple of days, my friend. All right, buddy. Good luck with PT tomorrow. Thank you, buddy. Goodbye, everybody. Love you all. Yeah, bye. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.